The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's show. I'd like to welcome Juliana Erkinen and Donald Gibbons, who are with us here today. Juliana Erkinen, who moved to the west of Ireland from Finland in 2003, is a fiddle player who has played with many bands in Finland and Ireland, such as the Invisible Choke Band, the Rocky River Bluegrass Show, Mikey and the Scallywags, and is currently part of the folk band The Reigns with Ruth Dilla and Yvonne Tiernan. Donald Gibbons is a musician from Clahanover who hosts a music show on Clahanover Sounds radio station. He has ran a stage in an Electric Picnic and was the organiser of the Last Waltz Tribute Show, a tribute to the band, in the Black Box and other promotions. Himself and Juliana have also formed a group consisting of Stephen Monaghan, the Snatches, Will Murrigan, the Saw Doctors, Jamie O'Neill, the Brad Pitt Light Orchestra, Anto Thistlewaite, the Waterboys and the Saw Doctors, and Dave Clancy. The name of this group is Cousin Tab. Okay, Juliana and Donal, welcome to the show. How are you guys? Good. How are things? Thanks a million for having us. It's my pleasure. You know, it's it's great to have. I, I like to have local artists and you know people from around my county Galway and Mayo side. You know, it's it's great because the kind of aim of this show was kind of to get celebrities and musicians and actors, but from all sides of life, not just people who are, you know, from the other side of the world, but local artists and everything. And, you know, it's nice. And as I said, Juliana, you've been on the show before with the rains. And, you know, I kind of said, I wanted to bring you all back one by one, you know, and, and Ruth was on the show. Um, and Donal, I've, you know, as I said, you've been on my radar, you know, I love your radio show and it's great. And, you're kind of doing something similar to myself, you know, where you have local artists on and talking to people from around the community and bring them on your show. It's a great idea. And I love to see that local kind of initiative. It's brilliant. That's just, it's pure community radio. <laughs> like the thing about that is, you know, yourself with music and in the music industry, it's hard to make a living and it's hard to get your music out there. And nowadays, can I think community radio is the answer. It's the only way that local people can hear local music. Well, it's true, yeah. Of all the shows we did, we did one with all local music and it was by far the most popular. So, like, yeah. there, there is there is a market out there to play local music, you know. It just, it's, um, the the established local stations don't pick up on it so much. Like, it's hard to get, get some play on, say, Galway Bay or Midwest or any of these. Like, it can, can be tricky enough. It's not impossible, like, but... You know, it's nice just to have something that will play all local music, you know. I was going to say, that's a big gripe I of mine sometimes is that local radio stations don't play. I mean, like Galway FM and Midwest and all these maybe don't play enough local music because they don't want to take the chance. And it would be great if music stations took the chance and saw what the public thought of it because you know yourself, if they played local artists more, local people yeah, would say, yeah. oh, can you... They'd request it and say, can you play that again? But unfortunately, the programmers make a decision and you never hear these artists half the time. Well, that's it. You're kind of down to, you send it to one person and if he likes it, it's played. If he doesn't, it's not. It's, that's that's the way it is. But 
they have their systems, I suppose, if it works for them. Juliana, is it like that in Finland for you as well? Like the art, is it hard for local artists to get played on the radio? Look, I, I haven't really played, I haven't been in, um, like I haven't lived in Finland since 2003. So obviously most of my like kind of as a, as a hobby, I was very actively playing music in Finland and stuff, but I wasn't playing on the radios and all that kind of stuff in Finland because I moved here when I was my 20s, early 20s. So so I don't know so much about the, the Finnish radio more than that they have. They actually play a lot more Finnish music, but it's it wouldn't be like they don't have kind of folk music isn't that big in Finland like it's I was playing all my life folk music but I it wouldn't have been played on the radio now or anything but the Finnish the national radio stations they do play a lot of Finnish music but it could be like still certain style of music and and that kind of thing so maybe a little bit different because like there's a lot of artists in Finland who can become huge in Finland but nobody will ever hear of them anywhere else outside of Finland so so yeah, they could be a little bit more loyal to the, the the Finnish people, but still, still like not all styles of music would be would be played, I suppose. Yeah, it, it's a bit like that in Spain here. I mean, you know, when I I'm in here about eight years now. When I came here first, you know, people would say, "Oh, this artist is really big," and have you ever heard of them? And I'd be like, "No, I haven't." And and it's kind of you realize that there's artists here that are huge in Spain. But they're never seen outside other, you know, in other countries, maybe yeah. in, in like Miami and Cuba and Latin American countries where the music might uh, come across because it's the same language. But unfortunately, with other countries, the language can be a deterrent because, you know, maybe a Finnish artist is really good. But their language, because of the language or singing the song in that language, they mightn't get played on English radio stations. And unfortunately, that's just the way it is. The English language will always kind of oversee, supersede everything. So the, I suppose for a lot of Irish artists as well who'd like to sing in Irish, they realize it's it's easier to sing in English in other countries. Mm, yeah, that's true. It, and, and in Ireland. <laughs> It's a better chance of getting played in Ireland if you're singing in English than Irish. So, so, so guys, so let's say let's go back a little bit, um, Juliana. So you came to Ireland in 2003, and like, was it was it something that had been a plan for you, or was it a spontaneous thing? What what made you come here? No, it wasn't planned at all. It was all just so strange to look back at it and go like, why did I? How did I even end up here for so many years? Because it's a, it was really. Kind of, um, I suppose I'd say, I think what has kept me in Ireland is definitely the music and and all that. But initially why I came here was just, I'd finished college. Um, so I didn't study music in college. I studied youth, youth work. And I remember on our last day of school, we were all kind of going around the, the students telling the teachers what we we're going to do. And everybody else was like, oh, I'm going to get a job somewhere and I'm going to move some part wherever the job is. And I was kind of like, no, I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to do do something different. And and I just had very itchy feet because I I went to college straight away after I finished school. So I finished college maybe around 23 years of age, 22 or 23, and went traveling to Asia, Southeast Asia, and then I came back for a month to Finland and I just happened to meet 
a couple of girls who had just come back from Ireland and they had been in Galway and they said that you would really love that place. Like just just go and have a look like you would love that place. And I, I wanted to live somewhere for a while where I could improve my English. And I then thought that maybe I'll try Ireland. I didn't I didn't really know anything about it. So I just kind of got I had a couple of hundred euros in my pocket. I took the flight here, got a place in Nakhnagara and I was literally counting pennies when I was here. And I was like, I love it, but I don't really know how to make my way around it. And it was really, really funny looking back because you're young and you don't really care. Like, oh, you can go always home back, get back home. And But then like small things started to happen then. And I started noticing the music thing here and I didn't even bring my fiddle here first. I just a uh, few months afterwards then, I asked my parents to bring my fiddle here because I noticed that it's the music scene here is is uh, like it's this lot of fun with it and people are in the pubs and all that so so it kind of started from like step by step kind of thing I got a little job in a cafe and and then that uh, kind of made it possible for me to stay then I started picking up the fiddle again and then then from there, you know, it's kind of impossible to leave when you meet, start, start meeting all the musicians and all the having all the fun and jobs and gigs and relationships, all that kind of stuff. So then now I'm still here. <laughs> Brilliant. And so we're like you guys, obviously, we have to let the public know who don't know you. A lot of people do know you, but anyone who doesn't, you know, you're a couple. And, and how long have you been together? Well, actually, four just, and a half years. Just the four and a half yeah. years, yeah, yeah. So, so an eventful four and a half years. <laughs> an eventful four and a half years. And and Donna, you can tell the story. Where did you meet, and how did it transpire? <laughs> we met at a going away party for Mikey McCrory, who used to play with Mikey in the Scallywags, who Juliana also played with. So he was going back to America, and uh, there was a going away party in Nocton's one Sunday night. So we actually played a few songs together at that. Just there was kind of different combinations of lineups going up playing. And um, we ended up playing a song together that night. And then uh, they moved from, from Nocton's to a party in the famous 12A in town. <laughs> and oh, nice. um, <laughs> oh, the rest God. is history. <laughs> wow. Four and a half years later. Brilliant. Yeah. And for for you, Juliana, you know, was there a thought in your head after a few years you might go back to Finland and and then obviously you fell in love and that changed a little? <laughs> um, no, never really. I suppose I at some point when um, when Ryanair started flying between um, to my home city, so I'm from Tampere, and uh, there was very cheap flights between Dublin and Tampere, direct flights, and they were really cheap. So I started going like five, six times a year to Finland at one point. And that point was the only time I kind of started getting really involved with with my Finnish life and all the friends. And that was kind of nearly a bit more difficult then because I wasn't really living fully in one place. I was always living in Ireland, but there was a time that I was kind of like getting very involved with things little things in Finland and my family and everything and and that but then after that I don't know now I'm kind of I suppose we have two children here now as well and the the oldest one is going to play school now and three years old and that so now I'm much more rooted 
like unless kind of itchy feet in that way like you kind of have to settle a little bit with the kids but um no I never really really wanted to go back I went maybe for a month at some stage and I always wanted to come back to Ireland because they I suppose the music thing here is so much more alive I play kind of folk music so it's not seen in Finland it's very kind of small and you can't really do so much with it I suppose there is folk music festivals there and small groups that meet up but it's it's completely different you can't sort of have a I suppose a career with it or you can't um, it's not as uh, as sort of socially acceptable to <laughs> to be a musician <laughs> if you know what I mean like um that everybody would have it's like are you still at the music <laughs> <laughs> exactly well, like, well that's the only thing that really kind of matters to me so so I'm like yeah that's it so you don't you well, you get those questions here as well, I suppose, sometimes. But yeah. Like, uh, I suppose the way the area where we live here now as well, it's amazing. You know, around Hedford, Shrewl, Carl Strand, there's amazing amount of musicians. And and it's like, it's completely okay to be do a bit of teaching and do do gigs and be involved with lots of different things. And like, uh, it's just, even like thinking of uh, Donald's radio show now, like when he plays local music, there is so much talent around this area that it's, it's just easier, like you have much more like-minded people around here than would be in my home city now, for example. I'd be kind of the lonely wolf mm-hmm. there going. So so it is, it's, yeah, it's easier here. I, I think that's, you know, that's the great thing about Ireland. It's very open and you, you know, lots of musicians have kind of different lifestyles. Some have like gypsy lifestyles and they do a bit of everything, move around. But I think... You know, there is always that person that's going to say you're still doing the music and they're kind of looking at you judgmentally. And But I mean, a lot of people are more open minded and they realize, you know, this is part of our culture and it's an art form. And, you know, it's very hard to be the rich singer or the rich musician. You know, there's only a select few get to do that. So the rest of the people kind of do their bits and bobs and they try and do different types of art and creativity and make a few quid, but still do the thing they love to do don't they mm. yeah and i think it's it's not even a kind of a choice it's something that i think we both feel but i definitely feel that i kind of have to do because it's a huge part of my well-being and it's like it's very healing it's very hopefully it brings some joy sometimes to other people too but it's mostly the kind of i don't know it's the it's the inner feeling that you get you kind of it's it's a better place in my head or something it's a it's just something you kind of have to do for your well-being and i think during the covid now like it was kind of hard then when suddenly that outlet was gone so like even if like we had a i had a baby like our youngest one was born in june last year so like i was going to take a little bit of a break from gigging Maybe, but it still was kind of like we're used to having that every weekend, that outlet of energy or whatever it is, the 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 flow or I don't know what what you call that, but it's um, it's just something we kind of have to do, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Donald, for you, obviously, because you know you've you've been involved with music for years, and you know as as, as Juliana said, there in around Hedford and. Clan over and all that area. Some great musicians, you know, even Craddock and you know the, the I know uh, Noni McDonald's living down there and the Joyces and there's so much great music around that area. 
And I mean, for you, when did you kind of get started with music? Was it like as a teenager or was it even younger? E- even younger. Um, my, my brother was my first guitar teacher, my brother Dave. So he showed me he showed me the basic chords, as I say, when I was eight, nine, ten. And now I was never playing to a mad high standard then. I'd be kind of pulling out, living next door to Alice at family gatherings, this kind of thing. Like, and, you know, just playing, playing a few songs here and there. But I was always mad into music. But at that age, more listening to it than playing it. Because having eight older brothers, there was always loads of music around the house. We'd be finding Bruce Springsteen albums and Pink Floyd albums. And like I knew Dark Side of the Moon backwards by the time I was 10. You know, so just there was always music in the house. It was always there. And I kind of drifted away from it then as I became a teenager and got into more into going out partying and having the crack. And it kind of took a bit of a backseat for me. And I went back at it then kind of more seriously when I was about 23 or 24. I kind of started hanging around more with uh, the likes of Stephen and the lads and they were playing in cover bands around town and I'd started hanging around with them and playing with them and just kind of started taking it a bit more seriously, I suppose. And um, yeah, it kind of takes over then, you know, once, once, once you get the bug, is um, there's no going back. It's, it's one of those things, isn't it? I suppose, I think musicians and actors and everything, they have these peaks and valleys in their, in their kind of musical career. And you can kind of think, oh, I won't do that again. Maybe I was doing it as a teenager. But then, as you said, in your 20s or 30s or later even, you can find something else inspires you. Mm, or well, you meet it. the right person. And I'm sure, I'm sure you guys, even when you got together, because you're both musicians, it kind of lit another fire and you looked at things from a different angle, don't you? No, no, I was just thinking like, that's the kind of the only sort of life you could really live anymore. I suppose we met a bit later as well. So, so I lo- I don't know, we'd been playing the music and that for so many years, so that it's kind of like you have your lifestyle a little bit established already at that point. And then it's kind of, you couldn't really, I don't know, I couldn't see myself going out with somebody who isn't a musician really. Like, but... Um, mm. It'd be too much to have to explain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like all these weird choices we make, like why, why like <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, like as as history has told us, uh, you kind of oh, you'll you'd meet a girl or a guy or somebody. It's usually more girls, and it's a well, oh, you going out with your man still, the guitar player, and said no, no, we you know, <laughs> he's still trying to be a star, and and, uh, and, um... and then she, you know, she left him because he. Uh, didn't make it and he spent too much time practicing <laughs> and then one day he makes it and she's knocking on his door again you know <laughs> so this is the thing i mean musicians can believe in each other and they can give each other the support and the, the space you know and they can kind of say well okay that's a good idea and that might work and i'll support you on it but if you're working as an accountant and your husband or wife is in a band touring around and you know making a few quid but kind of look, looking for the big time it, sometimes they're like, well, the numbers aren't adding up. You're not making any money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The yeah. numbers don't always have to come first. <laughs> no, no. But I suppose with an accountant, the numbers would have to come first. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose the making it, making it thing has never really been been a kind of a priority for probably both of us. Like, But not for me anyway. It's been more like trying to follow your 
intuition or trying to follow your own style or maybe there's a development of like for me like going from instrumental music to playing with singers for improvise then to improvisation then to like different different things so like you could end up being in lots of different projects for different reasons but not it might be for my own personal development maybe more than something that has to become something really hugely successful or or that kind of way so so <laughs> yeah so, so Juliana, for you, obviously, when you were in Finland, and what age did you start playing musical instruments or the fiddle? And do you play anything else besides that? I I started when I was seven years old. So I went to this um, school, Steiner School, that is maybe known as Waldorf School here. I'm not sure it's yeah. called Steiner School or Waldorf School here, but um, it's a uh, so they have music all like everyday music in the in the school so and the arts kind of follow from seven years on until you're 18 so I had music in school all the time and I started my playing the fiddle then then at nine years of age I went to the classical kind of private lessons uh, then and that was then classical music and theory lessons the orchestra all that kind of thing. But I think where my sort of my passion was always in the folk music. So on Saturdays, there was a local folk music group that was meeting and I we joined that. I have two other older sisters and a younger brother. So we all played music. So we were going to this folk music group and every Saturday then we, we did that. So there was actually a lot of music when I think of it. It was throughout the school time in school and then the folk music and the classical music kind of as extra. And then even now my mom was saying that at Christmas holidays and summer holidays, we did these fiddle camps and different things like that. And we started going to folk music festivals straight away. Uh, so the lady who was kind of running the the folk music group, she she always had the younger ones there in the front and then the older ones in the back. And even if we could only play the open strings, we were always involved uh, in it. So we started going to this little, playing these little gigs like straight away in these uh, folk music festivals. And then, then, so I have great memories from that time, like really, really something that I remember feeling from the festivals being like, this is really who I like. If I saw some band or something, I really want to be, be this and I want to be doing doing this um so yeah it was kind of a, a rich musical life which I didn't really think about it then but I think it's kind of helped me a lot here now to understand different different things and technical things as well from the classical I suppose the classical was never my passion passion but I still stuck with it and I did the grades and then I I stopped for a while after that when I was 18 so because it was getting a bit serious, and then <laughs> you know, was it obviously Finnish folk music is in similar in some ways probably to Irish folk music, but what what was the differences for you like when you started coming here and you know sitting in with a session or sitting in playing a tune? Did you have to adapt your playing? Um, like technically, I think it was always sort of um, possible, but the difference here is definitely that nobody's reading notes nobody's doing the sight reading and even in Finland um, even in the folk music group we would have like half of the time been reading notes and half of it maybe sometimes we were doing by ear but here everybody is just playing by ear so that was uh, 
that was different. And it's a lovely way of learning because you end up listening, listening, listening to the others a lot more. And it's a, that's, that's a big difference. But the, then of course, like there is the, the tunes are slightly different, but not that much. There's a lot of polkas and waltzes and similar kind of things in the music style in Finland. It was more, more about how, how it was learned and in what environment. And let's say like I could go, the first place I went to in Ireland was the Crane Bar and you could just meet up there. I could have a drink. It was fun. It was like, it was not taken so seriously. And it was just, it's much more relaxed and fun. I think here, but um, I think that's that's the main difference, I'd say. Uh, he, here's a, I don't want to be too technical, but I was talking to uh, Moraid Nimwini from um, Alton the other day, and she mentioned a point that I never really thought about, but it, like, you know, obviously with being a fiddle player and even being an Irish musician, the, the Irish music scale. So like, would the Finnish music scale for traditional music be much the same? Yeah, I suppose in Finnish folk music, there's a lot of minor, there's a lot of sad music in it. So like, um, yeah. it's not so much diddly, I kind of um, energetic uh, things. Um, I suppose the tuning and the scales and that kind of the instruments are similar enough, like, uh, but um, just the type of music is different, a little bit different. So there's a lot of really sad sad music in Finland which kind of still is something that I absolutely love and is something that now recently when I've been kind of writing a little bit of more instrumental tunes myself I kind of go back to that and that's that's what what's coming out and I'm like where does all this sadness come out of like when I kind of also love the bluegrass and that but that was that's just whatever is from my roots I think is is the kind of sad melancholic kind of minor ones like uh, i think the good thing about that is because you have the mix of the two it could make for some very interesting tunes and melodies you know because as you said if when the irish one is more upbeat and energetic and the finnish one may be more melancholy in some some tunes you know when you when you write now it's kind of coming from two different places isn't it yeah well i was actually never really playing that much irish traditional music so i what I did in Ireland, for some reason, now it, it started with a bit of kind of gypsy, Hungarian, kind of klezmer type and, and Scandinavian folk music. Then it went into bluegrass and then went into kind of playing with bands and doing other things. And and so I actually am not a very good trad player at all. Right, right. So um, that's <laughs> not yet. I always go like maybe one year. I, Give, I, it I, yeah. Give it time. Give it time. Donald, for you, you know, obviously with the guitar, because, you know, did you, when you, when you were playing guitar, did you kind of fall into a style? Uh, yeah. we, like, obviously, as a teenager, we listened to a lot of rock and metal and stuff. And did you, did you say, okay, I want to be a metal guitarist or a rock guitarist? I never, I was always, I was a big metalhead when, when I was a teenager, but I never, I was never that proficient on the guitar that I'd be banging out solos or anything like that. That was never my <laughs> right, kind right. of thing. Uh, I'm more into singing than actual the guitar. So for a long time, the guitar was just something to do with my hands while I'm singing. <laughs> but, um, when there wasn't a pint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of, <clears throat> I wouldn't really view my, I still just really only play chords. And, you know, I wouldn't be uh, the most technically proficient guitarist out there. 
but I can kind of make it make it work to to suit what I'm doing, kind of if you know what. I mean. So I wouldn't I'd view myself more as a singer than a guitarist. Right, right, okay, and and like so when you look at the singing, your singing style or what kind of influenced you, like you were saying there, Springsteen and everything. So did you find yourself coming at the the singing side more from that side, that kind of Waterboys, Bruce Springsteen stuff? Oh, you well, maybe now, maybe yeah, but like when I was younger, like we had a metal band and uh, it was a bit more um, shouting and screaming, a bit more. Rage Against the Machine would have been a huge influence. Yeah, on that Zach Delaracha and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it was more that kind of stuff in my twenties, maybe, and I don't know. I suppose as I started getting older, then I kind of mellowed a bit and. I went back to the likes of Springsteen and the Waterboys and John Prine and Bob Dylan and Guy Clark, all these guys. They're more of a kind of storytelling, songwriter kind of thing. And and I love the, the big band sound then of the, the E Street Band and the Waterboys and that. Like So, yeah, it was kind of like I was into them when I was younger and then I got into metal and then I went back to them. Kind of, if, if that makes sense. And that would be like I still love metal now, but it's kind of hard to yeah. kind of hard to find the time to listen to metal with two young kids. And no, it's different. I, I'm like that because I I think the first band I ever really got into was the Waterboys, and I just loved it, and I didn't know why, you know. And then it was Guns N' Roses, and then Metallica, and heavier bands and stuff. But like you know, as you say, you come back more to music. So you know, my car is like a crazy eclectic mix of music you know the, the kids are like i was bringing them to i was bringing them to someone's house the other day and i put on um i think it was pantera and they loved it and and, and next minute i i said well hold on we keep the vein going here now so i started putting on a lot of heavy stuff and jesus by the time they got to the other people's house i'd say the parents had a nightmare because they were <laughs> wired <laughs> i was great there's great power and like you know and there's um yeah like Pantera were serious and System of a Down were big for me as well. And Metallica, like you were saying, Nirvana. I got very big into Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, all that as well. So, yeah, I kind of like started off nice and mellow and got a bit heavier and then kind of started on the, the slope down again. Now <laughs> to the mellow step. Yeah. And I think that's the great thing about, you know, when you get into your 30s and 40s and older. Is that, you know, you can be going along in your car and listening to, you know, Shade and then the Waterboys and then Pantera. Yeah. And you have that choice, you yeah, know, you, yeah. you, you just, whatever feels right in the moment. Well, that's it. They're all different stages of your life where the, that was the most important music to you. And now, like you're saying, it's all important and it all has its time and place. But for my and own... And it's moods, isn't it? Well, that's it, yeah. The different music, different moods. Like you couldn't pick... If top five favorite albums because it keeps changing every day. Yeah, exactly, and exactly. That's what thing people when I get them on the radio show and they're like, "Jesus, it's hard to pick ten or twelve songs." Like, you know, there's you're supposedly your favorite. Everyone says that's the hardest bit they find because it completely changes depending on your mood and and even what the weather is like. You know, they, all these things can can change. And, and and you know, I'm sure people are like. You know, they've made the choice and then they're listening to a song just before the interview on the radio and they go, oh, jeez, I should have put that in and forgot every about time. that bad. Every time, <laughs> yeah, every time. A lot of surprising selections, but 
So yeah, good. yeah. And, and Juliana, for you, you know, growing up as a teenager, were, was your influence mainly Finnish bands or pop bands? Or, you know, did you have a lot? Was there other international bands that you really loved? Well, there actually was, let, let's say now, actually, to be honest now, we actually grew, I grew up in a very unusual family in that way that we didn't have TV. My parents had decided that we will grow up without TV. And uh, so I'm um, to kind of promote our imagination and all that kind of stuff. So we wouldn't be children who were stuck in front of TV screens and which is great. We had lots of other things and amazing hobbies and horses and animals and everybody playing music. And we, we did a lot of very, very amazing things. So, so I had in some way, like my early childhood was, I didn't really have, have those things, but as a teenager, then maybe it started. Actually, I remember getting getting into kind of like Verve and Blur and actually Nirvana as well and and like other really really cool things. Not so much Finnish for or any kind of Finnish Finnish music. Maybe a couple of heavy metal bands because my brother. I was sharing a room with my brother and he was into heavy metal and I was like. Okay, this isn't really my thing, but so there was definitely, definitely music, but kind of more as not as ten years old, maybe more as a teenager. Um, and my parents used to love listening to classical music, so we we were listen, listening to a lot of that, which was <laughs> was something that I don't really listen to an awful lot at home anymore. But I suppose it's it's amazing music, obviously. Um, but yeah, that's uh... okay. So yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing about music; it can come from all angles and all styles. And it kind of, you know, if somebody says, "Oh, music didn't shape me," they're kind of lying in some way because you know the thing is, music shapes you as a child, a young child hearing it as a teenager, and definitely once you start playing it. You have a new appreciation, you know, for certain instruments and, you know, like if you're playing guitar and then you start learning bass, you listen to the bass more in songs and, you know what I mean? So, so the thing is that, um, as someone said to me once, you know, Jesus, if you're a multi-instrumentalist, you must go crazy listening to some tunes because you're hearing all the different instruments and taking them all in and analyzing, you know. Obviously, there was a lot of bands now to think of afterwards that we were listening. Even now, sometimes when I talk to Donald, I was like, oh, I was into that as well. And depending, my sisters, older sisters were into different music as well. So so there was a lot of different influences. But what kind of stuck with me then is, is different again, like... Uh, that I think comes from the music. Mm-hmm. So just there, you mentioned when, with your sisters, and well, I suppose I'll ask you first, Don, because Don, you've a big family, haven't you? You, you said you've eight brothers. How many is in your family entirely? I am the youngest of eleven. Eleven. Um, wow, that's yeah, a big family. eight brothers and two sisters. I went to school with a guy and in Currafin, and he um, he had eleven in his family, and I remember that years ago, and and sometimes now I like. It's funny in Spain, you tell people, you know, they consider three a big family here. And uh, I said, Jesus, I could, you could fit one family into four families here in Ireland. Because even my family, there was six children. And I tell people that and they're like, six? I'm saying, that's nothing. I know people with eight, nine, 10, 11 children. 
Well, we're not even the biggest family in Shrewd. We're about fourth biggest, I think. <laughs> fourth. <laughs> we're in the top five, like. But <laughs> definitely some, a few to do with. Wow. And what, so, so you being the youngest, did you have to, was it easier for you or did you get all the hand-me-downs and did you get all the soft touches then? Uh, I had me rounds too. And I suppose my siblings would say that I was a bit spoiled, but I, I, I dispute that a bit. But, uh, <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> but there's a big, like, there's between myself and my eldest sister, there's a 19 year difference. So by the time I was growing up, a bit like, a lot of them had moved out and moved on. So you meet them in the streets and you're like, are you my sister? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite that bad, like, but yeah. like it was the 80s too, you know. So, like, I was born in 78. So, in the 80s, a lot of my brothers would have gone to England and um, the early 90s. You know, there, were, there was, I think there was five of them in London at one stage. Um, but everyone is back home now, like, so the furthest away from Shrewl any of them is, is Loch Ray. So, it's, it's, it's good now. Everyone is back, back, back local. So, so actually, like obviously, because of COVID and the restrictions being six people, your family had to nearly meet in two bunches, two different houses, nearly. Well, yeah, well, it might be a good idea to do that anyway. Sometimes, but so you know, we, we would have we would have met going to see her. So, um, ah, yeah, we still we still meet meet up a good bit, like you know, it's and and you mentioned there your brother Dave played the guitar and taught you was there because I think I saw that a few others in the house play music too don't they uh, no not really no just myself and Dave when I was brother okay. Norman used to play a bit of drums and piano he used to play with a, a band called Freelance back in the day they were a famous old shrewl band um, and everyone would have a song for the party pieces you know like the, like my mother was a great singer so the music is in there, but just I suppose not everyone chose to explore it, maybe. Yeah, of course, of course. But that's what I actually find very different in Finland and Ireland is that like you have family parties and everybody like is so excited to sing and play and everybody sings and everybody plays, like even if they don't like go further with it or they don't make it into a career or something, they still are able to, and they still want to do it. Like mm. you, Donald has a seven, 18 year old son and I remember 19. just... 19 <laughs> uh, and uh, he I remember like him going like just waiting couldn't wait until he can sing a song in a party and like that that's something completely unheard of in my family or not necessarily my family my family could be quite musical but like in terms of Finnish parties and things like nobody would we would listen to music but not not sing and play like it's 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 so much more alive here, I think, in mm. every family. Every, everyone has one side. Mm. Yeah, of course. I mean, and it's kind of like, you know, the sisters would be like, don't sing that fucking song. That's mine. That's mine. <laughs> you know? It'd be like, it's like before, it's where they're going on stage at Wembley, like, don't you dare sing that song, you know? And, be, and the sister would say, well, I, I, I kind of like it now, so can I sing it with you? And they'd be like, no, that's my song. Mm. <laughs> one, one singer, one song was a, a famous saying in our house that if someone is yeah. singing a song and you try to sing along with them everyone will tell you to be quiet one singer one song yeah. <laughs> that's his song <laughs> sure, yeah. and Juliana for you how many is in your family was it a small family small compared to Donald's maybe well small small <laughs> about half half of that but I have two older brothers as well from my dad's side and then I have 
two older sisters and one younger brother. So yeah, we're kind of big, big family for Finland. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, my two older brothers were kind of a little bit more like uncles to me. They were a bit older. Um, so yeah, everybody playing music now in, in fairness. So that was, that was lovely. We had a little band together as well in, with two of my sisters and a couple of other neighbors when we were kids, like, and stuff. So we were kind of playing local little events and that kind of stuff. So, so, um, so we had a lot of, a lot of similar kind of interests, but they did end up dropping the music. And actually my old sister now, she's been teaching violin still um, a little bit. She's the primary school teacher. So she's been kind of on the side teaching a little bit as well, but uh, I think they don't. They would be very musical, but they wouldn't have had the the space to do it because they, it's not so it's not so much possible in 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 Finland in that way as it is here. So, but like my brother would have been super musical, uh, very very good. Like I remember when we went to this classical school, and he was very he had very very good ears, and like I remember he was always getting all ten marks out of. 10 of everything and my sister was asking him like that how do you do that like when you just listen to a chord or listen to intervals or whatever and you have to mark what you're hearing and then he just said that um i just listen and then i write down what it is and we were like yeah but like <laughs> how did it so maybe maybe his perfect pitch <laughs> yeah but then in the end like he also then ended up leaving the music because it's sort of the life is a little bit different to in finland and then you know the the i'm i'm glad now we i could i found this place this island and we could continue that because i think there was a little bit of passion for every everyone there but that that's great and you know like one question i want to ask you guys obviously we were mentioned there earlier about obviously it's been it's hard being a musician is there, you know, jobs like Donald, when you look back now, was there, did you do lots of different jobs kind of trying to discover who you are and who you wanted to be? Uh, well, I left school when I was 16 to train as an electrician with my brother, Dave. Uh, I had no mad passion to be an electrician, but I had no mad passion for school either. So I figured I might as well make a few quid. And the only yeah, way to keep them happy at home when leaving school was to do an apprenticeship. So, so it's still something I, I've mostly worked as an electrician over the years. Um, it's means to an end. It's, it's hard to make a living solely as a musician. So it's good to have, have that to, to fall back on. I can go and do a couple of days work here and there when I want or take on small job beans and do that. Like, um, it's, yeah, it's like, as I, it's not something I ever wanted to see myself doing forever, but it's good to have it. Uh, ideally, it'd make enough of a living out of music, but um, that's not the case. Uh, it's good to have something else. The funny thing about music is, if you're an electrician or a carpenter or a plumber or whatever, you know you you do enough and to make a few quid and keep the family alive as such, and then you try and do the music at the weekends. And if you get paid, brilliant. But the thing about it is, if it was the other way around and you could make enough music or enough money with the music, you probably wouldn't do the other work. <laughs> oh, no way. Not a chance. Like. <laughs> Not a chance. But like, yeah, before, it's before, funny, isn't it? That's that's what I was doing. I was working full-time as an electrician Monday to Friday, and then gigging Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 
And with the young kids and everything, like it was, it was tough. So it was nice to actually get the break when the lockdown came to just be able to sit back and know, you know, we're not going to go hungry. We'll be grand and just have a bit of time and not be rushing around out of the rat race for a while. Like, as the fella says, the only wire is the one on the telly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and Juliana, for you, you know, did, when you were, because you mentioned there when you came to Ireland and you were, you know, counting the pennies as lots of people do when they arrive on foreign shores. And did you kind of think, this is what I want to do? Or, you know, there's some, is, I'm going to make money from music or, I, you know, did you, ha, what kind of jobs did you fall into? No, well, actually, I, uh, well, first job was in, in a cafe just to, just to, kind of be able to stay in Ireland but then because I had a degree in youth work so I kind of then when I decided that I'm going to stay in Ireland for a while I started looking for jobs and I worked for a long time in rehab care with people with Asperger's syndrome and mental health difficulties and in a residential service and I suppose I was I think I was there for seven years or something and it was it was very good. It was never full time. I think maximum 30 hours I week ever worked there. Um, so it always gave me the kind of security of financial security. And I was only kind of finding my feet in Ireland with music at that time anyway. But but then like you could always do the gig, gigs at weekends. And we've quickly formed a band with three other Swedish people and that we randomly found found on the streets basically in Galway and uh, <laughs> as you do <laughs> as you do like you kind of like to me is something now like the grain bar or or busking was like the first thing that you notice that you go somewhere and you meet all these people then you like their music and then you start jamming and then you form a band then you make an album then you, then you do gigs and then but that was kind of uh, on the side with the job always at that point um so I did kind of a little bit of a career in healthcare work like that. I was at some stage for a team leader as well for a few years, but that was maybe not something that I'd be going for back now. It was so, sort of a little bit stressful in a, in a way and stuff. So then, then um, yeah, after that, I've been kind of, I did another healthcare job in Brothers of Charity for a few years. And that was kind of on a relief panel. And then then I did some voluntary work uh, for a year and a half. I moved to Alihis to a meditation center. And I was kind of like, at that point, I was ready to leave Galway for a while. So I just went to a smaller place there. And I also worked there in a kind of a care center type where people come that need a little bit of support. Um, so I worked there, but that was voluntary completely. But then I ended up missing the music a lot in Alihis. Actually, at first I didn't have a place to play there at all. I couldn't even place where I, play where I was living. So, but in Alihis, uh, obviously that's the lovely. It's like Wild West. It's a brilliant place of of artists and musicians. And I then ended up finding my little sessions there as well at weekend. So I I could. Um, I could start playing gigs there as well, a little bit less than in Galway, obviously. But so I made some great friends from that time and moved back to Galway then. But uh, yeah, now I'm kind of with uh, with the kids uh, 
Emily's three years old now and my age is turning one. So I am doing, I was doing a few days of teaching before, before in the last few years, but I'm kind of in the planning stage now that what, what will I do for, <laughs> for, for, for living? That's the, I think that's the interesting thing, isn't it? That when new things pop up, you know, because as Donald said, you can kind of do the one thing for a long time. But sometimes when you're kind of uh, trying out different things, you don't know what the future is going to bring. You could be doing something completely different next year, you know, and trying to work it around the music or trying to work the music around it, whichever is better. But I mean, that's that's what makes life interesting because things change. That's it. Yeah, I think all my life, really, I have had kind of the care work thing or the, the health care work or, or, or something interesting there that I still kind of explore the idea of maybe I will work in that area a little bit more. But then it's between the two, like I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be cut for many jobs now. It's, it's either, either helping people in some form or, or else music, like I couldn't, really work in a restaurant or a cafe or or else obviously the dream is to have your own place and to have a little music venue and and of course of course that, yeah. that kind of thing really? like uh, well, you're living the dream a little bit you know <laughs> <laughs> we're getting there <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. donna let's talk about the the radio show you know clahan over sounds and obviously you, you have uh Nicola Joyce does a show there as well. How many shows are you doing at the moment? Is there just the two of you or is there other shows in the pipeline? Or- uh, there's four. There's two two shows on a Friday night as well there. Uh, Eamon Stack does one and Jimmy McDonald does one. So we kind of have subscription we have now. We can do up to three hours, seven days a week. Explain to us how it works like because... You know, you're you're going out over on, on internet stations and stuff. Do you have to have like special licenses or how do you kind of get set up? Um, I think just to play the music, I think it's, you pay something like 75 euro to Imro or something for the year. And that, and that covers, it's a special rate for community radios. But um, Willie Campbell looked after all that side of it. So we kind of had Brilliant. free reign then to, to just play whatever we wanted. Which, um, but I don't know. I don't know if that would work on the likes of Spotify or YouTube because there is copyrighted music in there. But for for going out live on on Mixelor where we are, it seems to work. So no one has come after us yet, anyway. <laughs> no, no, and I I think that's great. You know, I I see there as well is uh, Big Sam, Jerry Curley, and Freedom Goals. You know, it's a great show as well. Yeah, that's what I get text after every day, like about it. Yeah, it's brilliant. But after it, it's a great way to keep in touch during the lockdown, like, you know, to everyone to hear each other's voices, you know, and to kind of stay connected to the to the community while, while you're locked down. During the lockdown, obviously, you had all of these artists and musicians and actors and everything at home, you know, and they're twiddling their thumbs and trying to see what they would do next. And I mean... For shows like this, and even my own podcast, it's it's kind of great. You get in touch with these, and they're like, "Oh, I'm not doing too much at the moment, so I might come in and do a show or whatever." Everyone, everyone had time in their hands. Yeah, yeah everyone had time in their hands. You know, <laughs> I'm worrying about next year if they lift all the restrictions, and won't be able to get any guests. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like we started, like this room probably eventually might, might was maybe 
planned as a, one of the kids' room, but now we turned it into a little studio, and now this is our sacred place oh, where we haven. <laughs> we really close the door and go, and that this is mm. where you can do the music and you can do the recording. We built up, um, bought a few little bits for for recording, so I've. I've done some recording. You've done some recording here as well. You do the radio here, and like it's just, uh, just all these things just suddenly started happening when the lockdown hit because we had to start doing it from home. So it's great now. It's uh, they're up and running. So Donna, when you like when you were doing it, obviously uh, sometimes you have people coming in, but then you sometimes have them over the the web as well because of COVID and everything. How did that kind of work out over the last few months? Well, I di- I didn't I. I actually prefer having them here. So when things were really bad with COVID, I didn't have a guest. I was just doing it on right, my own. Right. So there was a few months there where it was just me talking to myself and playing music I liked and trying to come up with interesting themes. And but most, most any time I have a, a guest, to have them here in the house, obviously, and we're trying to be as safe as we can. But uh, of course, of course, I just find. I don't know. I find it easier. Um, the way I look at it is just two two friends having a chat, and it happens to be, it happens to be recording. Rather, you know what I mean. Um, I, I I would have I found it hard. I find the Zoom thing and that hard a lot of the time. But uh, it's grand now and again. If I had to do it every week. I think it would drive me mad. Yeah, I think for me, you know, like as you say, I think there's nothing that beats the feeling of being in a room with somebody and you know having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and have it's like that chat. And it is for me even doing the podcast over the year and like sometimes I'm doing an interview with someone and they're in America and they're like yeah, nine yeah. hours <laughs> behind and <laughs> and then you have the technical problems and everything yeah. and. Uh, it's difficult. It's more work. But like for me, I kind of didn't have a choice because I was in Madrid and I was thinking, well, I want to interview Irish artists and yeah, people from yeah. my own community. I had to do it that way. So, so for me, it'd be great. I mean, if there's, if I, if, if the time ever came where I could do it one on one, it'd be great. But uh, like that, I think what happens, obviously, there'll be times that you mightn't get people in and everything. So. You have to make it work whatever is best for you, don't you? Well, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Like if, if it becomes if it becomes a job or a chore, it, it's not enjoyable. Like so. Um, but it was good because even with the restrictions here, you were allowed record for broadcasting. That was always in, in the things like except now from maybe December to March, April, when things were very, very bad. I just stopped having people come over and I just did all the shows myself. And, um, that was grand too, but after a while, you're kind of itching to talk to someone again and you're fed up with the sound of your own voice. kind of. So it's good to have people back again. No, it's good. I mean, it's, it's a better when you have that. And, and you know that there's a chemistry between the, the host and the guest, which works better as well, doesn't it? Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And then they've all been friends of mine so far. You know, yeah, so that that definitely makes it easier. Like, yeah, and I, I, I mean, I think the good thing as well is about the the only major good thing about the COVID restrictions was it allowed people to kind of get back in touch with each other, and you know, they they'd be like, say, even for me doing the podcast, I'd say, oh, I'm going to ask this person on, and I wouldn't have seen them for years, or 
and they'd be like, Jesus, you know, it's been 10 years or it's been like yeah, that. So yeah. not only did families reconnect, I mean, even in shows like this kind of thing or your show, people got a chance to reconnect and find out what's happening with people they lost touch with. But that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it has had some positive ramifications, but it hasn't, it hasn't been all doom and gloom. Yeah, and then you've become very kind of a no, just that like it forced us to become a bit more self-sufficient or something that like you can't you have to come up with something from home. So so it's been it's been actually very very good. Like of mm. course we love the idea of going to play gigs and going to do that, but then like even learning to record from home and like for me now was huge huge thing was I hate technology and I'm very bad at it and and just uh, it just helped me to. Actually, I, I feel kind of empowered now because I can work out a recording program. I can record my fiddle from home myself. And I'm kind of like, you know, you had to had to do it if you wanted adapt. to, had to adapt. Mm. And like, obviously we did it that way that Donald learned it first and then he taught me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, like then you, you can put out a song and I've done my, my parts from home and stuff. So that's kind of, mm. it's it's all it's all possible and you kind of end up learning an awful lot about different things that you wouldn't have learned if you didn't have to like you're reminding me there it's like when he said he learned it first and then he showed me it's like the <laughs> ikea manual you have a look at it there i just wanted to tell you <laughs> back out a half an hour later did you figure it out <laughs> but like when and then looking at you i thought you knew what you were doing <laughs> But still, we have two, the two young kids, so it was. It's only kind of one in our family home. Like it's only one person who can do something. Like during the lockdown, now when everybody was home, it's like the other one has to be with the kids. So then, like I had to learn the things to do myself too. So, so I couldn't just rely on somebody else pressing the buttons because the kids were around and and stuff. So, mm. <laughs> uh, but but I know myself even you know. If if you're ever recording, and my my kids are like ten and eight now, but even a few years ago, you'd be trying to record vocals or doing it, working on a new song or something, you know. And you'd say to everyone, you know, I, I'd say, listen, guys, you have to be quiet now for like five or ten minutes because I'm trying to do <laughs> the work. vocals. <laughs> and Jesus, and next minute all you hear is, like, and I I always laugh because if I go back through some of the vocal takes, you'll hear. Would you shut the fuck up? <laughs> and, you know, you'd be like, all I want is five minutes. And then you're back trying to be professional again. So, yeah. I mean, children and recording studios and recording vocals don't go together. No. <laughs> yeah. well, if you listen closely to some of my radio shows, you'll hear some shouting and crying in the background <laughs> <laughs> through the door. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So let's talk a bit about, obviously, the, the bands you're both bands, the Reigns and Cousin Tablet and everything else. So, so Giuliani, you ha- you were on with the girls Yvonne and Ruth before with the Reigns and you had your single Bare Feet on Grass and you have a new single coming out soon, have you? Yeah, so on the 11th of June, a new single called Love is Sublime Till It Draws Out. It's gone. It's a, it's a kind of an upbeat, uh, fun little song. And yeah, it's coming out on the 11th. Well, it's a good song. <laughs> of course it's brilliant <laughs> of course. Yeah, so it's coming out now and it's coming out also on the same day as um, the Westport Bluegrass Festival that we have played I've played many many times before but now it's all happening online and it's been streamed through the Station in TV in Nashville so um, that's also coming out on the 11th of June so we're kind of putting them both together out and and just see see how it goes. It's been we also like we recorded it 
during the lockdown kind of remotely as well. So so it's it's been taking, we kind of needed to have a little project. Otherwise, it feels like the bands don't really get like, you know, it, it, is, it was something in the background we had to be trying to do but it was actually quite complicated to do it that way remotely because you're you're not in the same space and same room and all that but we managed to finish it and we'll put it out and i think it's great yeah it's lovely we have brilliant and for for you guys i mean you know obviously you had the other single and this single are you kind of trying to work on an album or is that something that'll be more long term yeah well it's uh, we will we have plans to record an album. It's just when to do it and how to do it is kind of the problem. There's lots of songs. Uh, songs. Ruth is a really fantastic songwriter, and we all have the the excitement for the uh, doing our own parts and and arranging and finding the harmonies. But we kind of do have to be able to meet up to to make it, to practice them properly and stuff. So we are kind of looking into when to do it and how to do, how to do it really. I actually personally now really enjoy doing my parts from home. So at least some kind of pre-recording thing I could be still doing from home. But, but then when you get session musicians in as well, we had uh, Willie Merrigan doing bass and Cesar Benzoni doing mandolin on it and Liam Bradley, this fantastic drummer, doing uh, kind of percussion drum on it so that gets tricky then if you're not in the same space so we kind of have to you know we we let we have, have to be able to meet up and practice and do do that kind of stuff so so we'll we'll make a proper plan now now then how to how to make it brian masterson is the is who has been helping us with the with the remote recording a lot now so like he has a studio in Wicklow so one idea is just to go there and do a couple of songs there as as the band rather than doing the remote ha- have another lockdown <laughs> of recording yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean I think it's great yeah because you had a great reception for the bare feet and grass single and I think um you know I think it's only onwards and upwards for you guys so it'll be interesting now when it comes out and obviously when you play the Westport Blues Festival you know that'll be really good so let's talk about whatever happened to Betty the Cousin Tablet song that that got great reviews and reception as well and a great song tell us the story about that Donald yeah well um Betty was worked in my family home and pub back in the, the late 60s early 70s so like my mother had seven or eight kids at that stage and the pub and a shop and my father had a full-time job as well so it's kind of needed a bit of help around the house so betty's betty had been born in a mother and baby home and she had a tough upbringing and i'm not sure exactly the connection that got her to shrewl but she ended up anyway coming to shrewl to work in the family business and helping my mother with the kids. It was more work helping my mother with the kids and maybe doing a bit of cleaning and stuff in the bar, that kind of thing. But um, she was in Shrewl for a few years anyway, and my older brothers and sisters loved her. And this, it's hard to get a lot of details, exact details, because my brothers and sisters were so young at the time. and My mother doesn't remember very well. and But some of the details I managed to get 
there's still a room actually in our home, my mother's house called Betty's room. It's always never been called Betty's room. So that always kind of was in my head. Who's who's this Betty? Like, why why is she the only person who has a room named after her? Like, so why does she I, have a room in my house? Yeah, yeah. So I was always kind of asking the questions, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah. She used to work here years ago, and then kind of at the the late night family functions, you might start getting a few more little details, like, and so I found out then that while she had been in Trule, that um, she fell pregnant. And supposedly a local priest, I don't know if it's a local priest, a priest, heard that she was pregnant and had her sent back to a mother and baby home. And that was the last anyone in my family ever heard of her. So so she, while she was working in your, the pub or with your mother, she fell pregnant and yeah. then she kind of just vanished. Like, Well, from what I can understand was that a priest heard that she was pregnant and arranged for her to be sent to a mother and baby home despite the protestations of my parents or whatever like and that's that's the way it was then you know and not that's not an excuse for it but um never heard from her again after that how old would she be do you think now if she was still alive or you know she'd be in her early 70s i'd say wow mm, so it's quite possible she's alive yeah there's a probability i mean it's funny because my mother works kind of as a, well, not works. It's a big hobby of hers for a good few years as a genealogist. And she, she kind of traces family and people who have been lost to families uh, in America and people that got off the boat, you know. And it's amazing sometimes like what you can find from the censuses and from the information and ancestry and all of that. So, I mean, you never know. I mean, you know. She might turn up. Yeah, but I was always conscious. I was always conscious of not intruding as well, because I was kind of aware of the fact that if she wanted to get back in touch, she knew how to. You know what I mean? So I don't think it would have been fair to to intrude on her. And I don't know. I just thought if it it wasn't my place to go snooping, kind of. And if she wanted to get in touch, she would. But it was always in my head. Like, I wonder whatever happened to her, like. Yeah, I wonder if uh, she heard the song and she's thinking, "Are they talking about me?" <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's quite—I consider it changing the name, but Betty just fitted right in the song, so uh, it had to stay. That—that's funny. Just when you mentioned about the name, or you know, the name, I was reading a, a music magazine there like a year or two ago, and they were talking to that. You know, that band from America, Greta Van Fleet, that kind of sound like Led Zeppelin. And they said to them, where did you get the name? And they said, oh, there was a woman in the town and her name was Greta Van Fleet. And we thought it was a great name. So we called the band after that. And uh, so, but we went and asked her, did she mind? And she was an elderly woman. And she said, no, no, I'm honored. Thank you very much. But what happened was then they were playing in the town. They got a bit bigger. And the name, they put the name up on the, the sign, you know, the cinema sign, Greta Van Fleet. And there was women, there was older women coming to the old woman's house going, Greta, your name is on the cinema sign. What's going on? <laughs> so it's funny what a name can do or stir up emotions. Yeah, or, yeah. You know what I mean? It just fitted in with, with the tune and everything. And it was like, it just worked. And it was true. So it, 
it's always it's always better to have the truth in there. I think. Yeah, and like with with cousin tablet, you know, explain how that kind of came about because I know obviously you know sometimes when you're playing with friends and stuff and bands, the name is not that important. It's the connection with the bands and people are together for years. And cousin tablet is is kind of a new thing with with probably people you've played with before. But are you writing a lot of songs, or what's the kind of situation? Yeah, we've, we've the guts of an album written. So kind of the way it's working is that I kind of do a bit of writing here and I might have a verse and a chorus or I might have two verses and chorus or whatever. And then I'll go and jam with the lads and we'd, we'd flesh them out and make them songs. Um, that's generally the, the way it's been so far. It, um, so yeah, we, 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 we record, recorded two songs the time we recorded Betty and the plan was to release the other one as a single in the meantime. But I've kind of written a few more since now and definitely one that I think will be more suitable for the next single. So right. we're going back into the studio now in a couple of weeks to record two or three more songs. And we do we record live. It kind of works for us to record the... I like that live sound. We do the bass, the drums, yeah, yeah. And the guitars all live in the studio. And then you can add the bells and whistles in our own time after, like Juliana puts her violin on here. Um, Stephen is developing a studio in his place there as well. So we can do some vocals and we can do sax and stuff there. So it's just a system that works for us. And go into the Black Gate in Galway there and get the, the bones of the song down and then kind of finish them at our own pace between our home studios and Stephen's studio and places like that. That's really good. I mean, and do you hope, you know, obviously in within the next year or so to kind of maybe start touring a bit with us? Oh, big time, yeah. But I, I'm kind of reluctant to book anything at the minute if it's going to have to be cancelled and rearranged and that. So we know for sure we can do gigs, we'll book some. Right, that's really good. I mean, would you say then that, you know, Cousin Tablet was born out of the COVID kind of time or was it something that was going to happen before well we would never have had the time to do it before so that was the i wouldn't i was working full-time and gigging at the weekends so i never had time to kind of finish writing ideas that i had but once the lockdown came it was like cool i'll finish that song cool that's great and you know you had the time to to concentrate on writing and not have to worry about oh, no, I actually need to learn songs for the cover gigs that pay the bills. So you could actually concentrate on, well, this is what I want to do now. And, you know, having time to, to actually finish ideas and not have loads of half ideas thrown around the place. It was lovely for both of us, actually, that way that we we both, it kind of started coming. Like, I, I haven't been writing an awful lot of uh, instrumental tunes myself either before, like a couple I have, and I've been gigging them and all that but uh, but still it's been something kind of like in the background because always other things kind of have taken priority for whatever reason but like like we kind of took turns then like that's uh, that's like whoever is like it's your day today my day next day because of the kids and and, and stuff so so it was lovely they, for both of us it was very creative time like songs and tunes started coming and like you just put them I was I remember being in the 
room, they're going like, where's this all coming from? It's just like, it's like it's been piling up somewhere and it's just like had the space to come out. And same, same for you. Like it was, it was really lovely because now again, when things start to open, you have to start getting busier again. Like it just life gets busier. So, so you don't have that creative space so much anymore or it's more difficult with kids and schools and the gig like jobs and teaching and all all that stuff so uh, yeah it did work the scary thing about covid restrictions ending that there's probably a lot of people who developed quite a kind of you know routine about songwriting and working on their music and doing all sorts of stuff and now with the restrictions end and they're like, geez, I won't have time to do anything. Will I be able to continue this? So that's kind of something we never would have imagined that we'd worry about. Well, that's it. Like it's, um, you can kind of nearly feel it already a bit now where things are opening up a bit like there's, there's less time there now. And kind of going back into maybe working a day or two a week. And, and that takes up a lot of time because if I'm gone working, that means Juliana can't do anything either. So that's, two days for neither of us are creative. So, you know, and then you're trying to split the time that's left and, you know, it definitely does cut down on it. I would say the most productive part was the first six months, March to September last year. And we loved it. We thought it, we thought it was, it was great. That's when we a rest and summertime and loads of time for writing songs and writing tunes and hanging out. Uh, the winter was a bit harder. All right. But, um, but yeah, it was great for us both to have projects to, to keep the wheels turning, you know, and to have the time to do them. And hopefully by the time we, we come out of it, then we'll kind of, be a bit more established with, with, with both projects. Like. And, you know, since you're the first couple I've uh, had on the podcast, would you call yourself a power couple? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, only because I'm an electrician. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, there you go. There you go. You made the connection. Use the pun. <laughs> uh, no, I, like, of course, you could be Clan Overs, Beyonce and Jay-Z. You never know. I don't know. Noli and Nick might have something to say about that now. <laughs> oh, God, they might. They might. They'll be like, hold on. That's, that's, our, that's our There's role. a few of them. There's a few of them. <laughs> yeah. There is a few power couples in Clanover, isn't there? And Colleen and Colleen Eamon. Colleen and Eamon. and Oriana. Uh, mm, Eamon and Oriana, wow. Any amount of them. Yeah, there's uh, there's something in the water down there, isn't there? Yeah. Well, that's it. Well, like we were saying, I think everybody finds it easier to be with another musician. It's just that that bit of understanding. Like I, I think what it is, too, though, there's like border control there and it's a... Uh, you know, is your husband a musician? Is the wife a musician? No, no, you can't be together, guys. You're in the wrong place, you know? <laughs> no, that when you're kind of all older, like I said, like we all have also, I was living in Galway City Centre for ages and so were you. And like that was, that was the place to be at that time, like in my 20s or 30s or, or something. But then, then it's like, now I don't really know the people there anymore. And the, the, our, the face is kind of gone. And now people are more, our age are kind of naturally sort of moving a bit further away from the city center and that's it seems to be like now Hedford has become this place where all these mm. older <laughs> older middle-aged musicians <laughs> come and they feel very comfortable here and and that's so yeah it's uh, I've had amazing time you know I was I was talking to 
to Pauline Scanlon a few weeks ago there, and she's down that mm. side, obviously, now yeah. as well. So mm. it's like a celebrity village, isn't it, down there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not celebrity, but mm. anyway. <laughs> uh, well, the town, Campbell's, Campbell's have a lot to do with that as well, like the attraction of Campbell's. Yeah, of course. Kind of, that's kind of, I suppose, the hub of the scene. Yeah. I mean, Willie Campbell has done a lot for music there and, and you know, the, the tavern. It's been a great place, hasn't it, over the years? Oh, big time. Big time. Like, it, it's it's like a community centre with a bar in it. You know, it's uh, mm. it's been great. Like, there's just a great sense of community about the place. Like, like, there's so many things. Like, say, a lot of the musicians around now, we gigs we've done over the years we've put towards buying gear and we have like three or four PA systems there now that we keep in Campbell's and everyone uses them you know for their own separate gigs and stuff like and they'll use them in Campbell's for the gigs in Campbell's and it's a very unique kind of a setup that you don't find in a lot of places and it can be disastrous sometimes because people don't bring that gear and stuff goes missing and but it works it's worked for the last 10 or 15 years there and Everyone has equipment when they need to go do gigs and stuff. Um, but it kind of wouldn't work without having Campbell's as the hub for it, if you know what I mean. There kind of has to be a base for it. And and it just works. It's, 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 yeah, well, I, th- I think what you what it is there, I mean, it's that sense of community and the music community. And mm. that's like the church of the community. Exactly. And yeah. uh, pe- people respect it. People respect each other and they look after each other and they, you know, they, they support each other and everything. And uh, the thing about it is that's a great thing to have, you know, and um, you just don't want to turn into like a cult or a commune or anything. Just well, no, that. no, well, I'm not going that bad yet now. Like, <laughs> no, no one has tried to to become the figurehead yet. So, so we're still <laughs> no, no, you don't want that. You know? <laughs> keep them away from that. <laughs> so, listen, guys, it's it's been a pleasure talking to you. I've really enjoyed the chat, and it's been great to kind of hear a bit about your history and your present and your future as well. So, you know, I look forward to good things coming from both of you. And, you know, we'll keep in touch and, uh, you know, we'll have you on again, the show in different formats, I suppose, and separate, together, whatever, you know. So I want to thank you again and uh, we look forward to more things. Thanks a lot, Julia Arconin and Donald Gibbons, everybody. Thanks, thank you. Thank you. It was great.
Okay, thank you very much, Juliana and Donald. It was a pleasure to have you guys on. It was a nice song from you as well, so that was really good. And we hope to have you on the show in the future. And thanks for telling us everything about your community and the musical spirit that's there and all the artists who play in Campbell's and everything and the Clahanova radio show. We hope people tune into that as well. And it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. Thanks so much. Moving on to next week's guest, Canadian country rock artist Susie Corey from Toronto. Born in Beirut, Susie Corey's parents moved the family to Toronto when she was eight months old. Her mother, a devoted fan of country music, would continuously play classic country and Susie found herself singing along. By her teens, she became exposed to hard rock, most notably Guns N' Roses. Having spent several years abroad, it was after her move back to North America and a fateful meeting with her idol and inspiration, Axl Rose, that the fire to write and perform was reignited. And I hope you tune into that and as you tune in for the others. And I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Thanks very much for joining us and uh, we welcome you back anytime. So my name is Simon Kay. This is the Collective Whisper podcast. Look after yourself, look after your family. And until the next time, bye bye. Mm-hmm.